Welcome to the UX Backstage Podcast, an interview series focused on learning the practices of designers in positions to influence the strategy of products and services. Today we have a special conversation with three panelists about the current situation of hiring in UX during COVID-19. This conversation was recorded live on May 5th of 2020. For this event, we wanted to have uh, different roles given their point of view on hiring. So our panelists were comprised of Jared Spool, who is the co-CEO of Center Center and UIE. Jared recently opened the UX Center Careers Job War following his extensive experience delivering the UX Hiring Masterclass to UX leaders and teams. Then we were able to have Amy Jackson. She's a renowned uh, recruiter with over 25 years of experience recruiting for UX roles under her belt. Amy has been matchmaking designers since before we call it UX. And then we have Maxim Lesovich, a design leader, founder of the UXDC community, product designer at Capital One, faculty at um, the Maryland Institute College of Art and General Assembly DC. And he brought the point of view of a hiring manager and a design instructor. He frequently advises on job searching, strategies for new grads and the design community in general. Enjoy the conversation and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and also visit us at uxbackstage.com to learn what else we're doing in the space of design, the design industry, and sign up for our mailing list to be the first to know when we host this type of events in the future. Jared, welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> Excited about this conversation. Let me invite Amy and then welcome you, Max. Hello. How are you feeling? <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. I see a lot of people from all over the globe, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Max, Hi, you Amy, look welcome. like you're appearing from a dream. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> Max is using his new camera. I don't want to say that he bought it for the event, but it's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with a couple of questions based on what people submitted when they register. Um, I'm going to try to make it quick so we can then start uh, going into the ones that are being asked live right now. So one of the questions that was most asked when they register is, not having enough experience when you're going to apply for a job, especially if you're just uh, graduating or if you have, if you don't have enough experience, like two or three years of experience. There's a lot of jobs uh, being open that they ask for five to 10 years of experience and it's really frustrating for people. So I thought that Jared, if you want, you can start with what can people do to leverage this the situation? And if you can talk about what would be different between the situation that we had maybe last year to now with COVID-19. Yeah, well, now has changed uh, many things. The um, So there's a couple things. First, um, uh, 
this this is a problem that a lot of people have, right? Particularly because there are um, a lot of programs now that are that are graduating people as UX designers, and there's uh, and researchers, and there's lots of uh, lots of activity that happens um, uh, that folks are uh, becoming more UX. And what's happened in the industry is that is that that hasn't been synchronized with what hiring managers are looking for. Hiring managers actually are in this other problem, which is there's much more demand for design. And you would think that more demand for design would call for more junior people. But it turns out that when you are being asked to do far more than you have the capability and, and resources to provide, uh, you look for people with more experience, not less experience, because you need them to jump in and be able to go ahead and run with the job. So there's this sort of weird thing that's been happening for the last couple of years where um, uh, teams have been asked more of them, they've been given permission to hire, but the people they tend to look for are more experienced people because they can only bring on a few folks. And because they're only bringing on a few folks, they are in this situation where they gravitate towards towards greater experience. So all these folks who are coming out of these programs uh, are stuck. And, and to some extent, it makes sense. I mean, if you were going to a doctor and you had a choice between two doctors to choose, would you pick the one with, you know, 10 years of experience or the one that just got out of school? And so you, the, there's a bias towards experience. And that's key. What we're seeing now is that, um, uh, that there's, a uh, a shift that's happening because one of the things that happens when you only hire more senior people is that not all work is senior work is senior level work. A lot of work is is what we would call production work, work that you do every day to get things built. It's you know it can be just running usability tests or creating wireframes, and it's it's repetitive and it's um, uh, it is, it is not, you solve a lot of the same problems over and over again, and, and it tends to work in that direction. And there's nothing wrong with this work. It's great work, but it's not where you want your most senior people to be. But what's happening is because the teams have only staffed with senior people, they are filling these roles with people who are actually more experienced um, than uh, than the role demands, and they're not opening up for junior designers. So what we're seeing is that there's a shift now where smart hiring managers are realizing that what they need to do is break out those daily activities that are more junior, make sure they fill those with junior folks and bring on senior folks. And all this is to say that uh, as someone who is graduating or trying to get a job in this market, it's not your fault that you're having trouble getting work, even though de design is is higher demand. This is this is a problem that actually is on the hiring side. It's not 
on the applicant side. And there's not a whole lot that you can do, but there are some things. The, the first thing that I would recommend is that you, you focus uh, uh, your anything in your application, your, your resume, your portfolio, your cover letters, which no matter what other people tell you are incredibly important. Um, you focus those things on what you're capable of learning. So look at where you came, where you were, you know, three years ago, four years ago, whenever your journey started, look at that and start thinking about not in terms of what am I capable of doing today, but what did I learn over that period? And if I had an equal amount of time, what could I learn over the next period? Because as a junior person, the job's all about learning. It's, it's as I said, if it's a well uh, managed organization, you're going to be given a lot of repetitive work, which gives you a chance to learn and refine your skills over time and really do uh, uh, have a chance to really sort of grow into more and more responsibility, more and more capability. And as you learn more things, you're going to get more skills, more knowledge, more experience. And so those things, so it's all about um, uh, talking about what you're capable of learning, what you have learned, and what things you're interested in learning, and what things you think if you had a chance to learn, you'd be really good at. And that's, that's sort of the key place to start to focus, is to, is to really focus on telling your story through how you've evolved, how you've grown, how you've learned over the period that you've been studying UX and, and looking at that, because that's the thing that's going to catch the attention of a hiring manager who's on the edge of thinking, well, do I go with someone more senior, which is more expensive, uh, and keep creating this bigger and bigger problem in my organization of not having people to do the production work? Or do I bring in someone who's hungry and capable of learning and uh, we'll be able to pick up stuff. And that's, that's really key. If, if uh, most of the things that you do in a job, you learn on the job. The stuff you learn in school, that just gets you to the point where you know what to learn on the job. But 80% uh, of, of what everybody does day to day, once they have any amount of experience, they learned how to do that in the jobs that they had not in some sort of school program. And I'm saying this as someone who runs a school, right? But we teach our students how to learn. So that's a key thing. And then the other thing that I would focus on, and then I'll shut up here, is uh, in this market right now, the one that's fairly depressed, I mean, the number of job positions have decreased substantially since where they were three months ago. So. Um, uh, in this position where, where companies are either frozen they're hiring or they're just not hiring, um, the few positions that are out there, they're probably not going to come through an application system. They're probably going to come through a personal network. So the best thing you can do is grow your personal network. Start meeting people, seeing what they're doing, learning about what's going on, uh, uh, and this is hard for people who, who have never been taught how to network well. Um, it's a learned skill and it's, it's something that, 
um, everybody can do, even people who perceive themselves as being a bit introverted, they can, they can network. And the, the process is really about um, uh, getting contacts who have a sense of who you are as a person. Because if they, again, if a hiring manager has a choice between someone they know something about, like they've met them at meetups and they see them ask intelligent questions and they, uh, th th in return, those people ask them uh, uh, information uh, and someone who they've never heard of that the only thing they know is what's on a piece of paper that was submitted through an application tracking system. Uh, that contact is going to have a lot more weight and get first first look. So that's my take on this. But and, and I just want to add that after the the event, we're going to send an email to everyone that registered with a few links and resources. Uh, Amy, I wanted to ask you because you you mentioned when we were preparing for the event that you've been to a couple of recessions and that you have a lot of experience on how to navigate this. Uh, would you would you want to give us a little overview of what to keep in mind in these difficult situations? Well, um, we've never been through this specifically. Um, the if this even is a recession, it's a direct result. Just like 9/11 was, a, you know, what happened at the events of 9/11 was a direct result versus a major financial uh, crisis that we were building up to and we were getting used to and companies were getting you know, prepared for. This was a big shock for everybody. And so while I hear a lot of the words like um, hiring pause and hiring freeze, what I'm not hearing is canceling our recs for the year or we're not going to be doing any more hiring for the next few quarters. People are trying to figure out, because we've just never been here before, what we're going to do with what's going on. Now the market is reacting to that. People are being more conscientious about what they're spending BC are saying that they're looking more closely at business models. Um, that's all probably a very good, healthy shedding that we haven't had in the last 10 years, where basically, you know, anybody could get money if they go in with a with a great pitch. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's good and bad. There are a few less jobs out there, but there'll be less companies that are failing on their own anyways. Um, so it, it doesn't feel the same way as uh, the dot bomb, which a lot of you might not have even lived through anyways, or or certainly um, the Great Recession, which is what they call the housing crisis, where we didn't know what was going on financially with the financial institutions. The other thing that's different about this one, it, it seems, is we've gotten very rich in Silicon Valley, at least. So the VC have gotten very rich with a lot of companies going public in the last 10 to 12 years. So one of the one of the reasons some people attribute to the fact that startups could get money or companies had money to invest was because they had more money to invest. They had made a lot of money. Their coffers are very deep. Uh, VCs and, and investors are still doing raises, um, and, and big businesses are still. You know, Apple just came out with a new product. You know, people are still making money. So it, it, it feels a little bit differently that way. Right now, though, we're suffering from the gee, I don't know what's coming on next um and we have to unfortunately be a little patient with it we, there's really nothing that we can do to, to drive change since the virus is really driving this situation the markets will react the way the markets want to react 
<clears throat> to whatever's going on with um, companies not doing well or not being able to have people working because they can't be in the offices or whatever the case may be. It's not, it's not anything we've been through before. 9-11 is probably the closest and we all kind of tiptoed around trying to figure out what was going to happen and things just started to, to open up. So it's, it just doesn't feel, maybe it's my perspective, but um, it doesn't feel as depressing as the dot bomb where we didn't know how long we, the whole world was going to recover, the you know, United States in particular. Um, and, you know, the market today was, I don't know what it's doing right now, is reflecting positively to, you know, Europe opening up again or opening up slowly. So those are all like really healthy signs that this is not going to be uh, a, a devastation um, as far as hiring is concerned, just based on the, you know, the few things, few times I've seen job markets going up and down. Cool. That, that is really good to know. One thing that I take from, from what you just described is that like businesses are still running. Like, and to be able to, to keep business, you need to keep hiring the people that you needed to hire. So it's not, there's no freeze in hiring right now. Maybe there are less positions open, but there's still people hiring. Yeah, we were talking about that, I think, earlier. Um, that's absolutely true. If you look at, there are tons of spreadsheets, tons of spreadsheets going around with the people who've been laid off, um, especially in Silicon Valley, which is you know my area of expertise, but it's all over the country. Um, there are also lists of all the companies that are still hiring. They're yep. getting right around, God bless social media. This didn't exist during the dot bomb. So there are people, you know, I'm talking to people every day who are interviewing two or three places or getting jobs. Um, the layoff people are almost a little better off than the fresh grads and, and less experienced people that you guys are talking about, you and Jerry were talking about a little while ago because they're just, they're inundated um, with inquiries. People think that it's easy pickings in a way because, oh, they need a job, you know, maybe they'll come work for me. Um, there's less competition where in fact, there's actually more competition, but you know, it's, it's just, um, it, it's remarkable how much is actually going on out there. I'm, I'm, and I'm hearing startups too. Large companies are certainly hiring. Startups are certainly hiring. Google and, and a few of the companies said that they're going to pause. Same thing with that pause word. Um, I think they'll start right back up again. And I know people who are still interviewing there. So it's, um, did I answer your question? Yes. Yes, completely. And and I just wanted to add that there's also companies that are gathering the information of designers who have been laid off. So to keep keep them in mind in maybe a few months when they start hiring again. So I'll try to I have a, a couple of links from from these companies, but I'll try to to group all of the information that I have and send that over email uh, to everyone that register. I want to jump into the, into the questions that people are, are asking. There's one that has already 40, 47 votes, and it's the, um, always the topic, and the topic on our minds as a designers, and it's the portfolio. Um, and the question is, building up a UX portfolio is like a second job. What are the highest value to effort items that you would recommend? For example, networking versus having a website versus having more side projects. Uh, Max, would you like to take this one? Sure. I, I think this advice probably transcends our current times. And it's the advice I give about portfolios, which is don't be afraid to start small. Uh, there's just a lot of pressure to unveil this amazing interactive site with all of these descriptions and in-depth case studies. Uh, a couple short, small case studies that you put out there and then grow on and revise. 
is not only a great way to, to sort of trick yourself into getting it out there, but it's a great way to continue to talk about your content and your work on social media and your channels, whether they're LinkedIn or what have you. Uh, so every time you update or add things, you can push it out and you have a good reason to, to talk about it. So, um, yeah, you know, I wish I could take my own advice. Uh, so, you know, do, do as they say, not as I do, but uh, small, small blurbs is a great place to start. Yeah, definitely. We see a lot of uh, case studies that are really long, right? Like it's, it's really difficult for someone to, to go through all of those when they are uh, evaluating candidates. So having a shorter one uh, would be a, a good idea. Do you think that site projects help, Max? Um, I think so. And I think probably maybe now more than ever, um, I think a like side projects are just a great place to channel your, your passions during this trying time. Um, and then of course they're a great way to build up your portfolio and experience. But on top of that, I think that they're a great way to show what you're interested in and what differentiates you. Uh, this is sort of, uh, going off of what Jared and Amy said, like the things that that make you stand out, you can start compensating maybe your lack of experience or your less amount of experience by saying like, here's something that's related to the, you know, the quarantine, or here's something that's related to the current state of hiring in UX and tons of people are jumping on this stuff. Um, so you can sort of make a, make a difference via your side projects and then have a wonderful, um, any size case study to talk about it for hiring managers and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. Start solving problems, right? <laughs> Okay, so we have another question. Um, Can I add something to that? Because it course. was part of that, <clears throat> since we had a lot of attention on that. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I'm asked all the time is, you know, I, I've been working for two years, I've been working for three years, I haven't touched my portfolio, you know, where do I start? And, and I think that's a huge concern for a lot of people because it's just, you're already working full time, you'd like to have some sort of life outside of work, and even if you're not working full time, it's a very huge undertaking. So I've, I've started talking to people, you know, like we paper prototype products before we actually build them. Um, something I learned from Jared a long time ago. If you paper prototype your portfolio, you'll start to be taken down paths that seem to be more interesting or areas that you should evolve more. So you can still have a high, high level overview and then you know, gradually it'll drip down, and then certain areas will get thicker than others. So if you start with, you know, I call it an upside-down tree, and you're at the root of the tree, the trunk is your journey as a designer. Each branch might be companies or projects you've worked on. If they're not specific companies, maybe college, whatever. And then underneath each one of those branches, you'll have smaller branches, which are all the projects that you worked on. And then you start thinking about the kinds of things that you want to do going forward and those are the, the ones that you really flush out so some mistakes i see that people make in portfolios is try to put everything in the pot so that people can see every single thing that they've ever done but you don't want to do every single thing that you've ever done you will actually hopefully have an idea of what you want to do as your career has gone along so you want to direct them down those paths and give them the most amount of information about the things that are most relevant to what you've done and then most importantly what you want to continue to do. So if you used to do more graphic design and now you've moved into product design, you don't want to have six thumbnails that talk about all your graphic design experience. You want to go into a, you know, a single case study is better than none about something that you're really passionate about. 
you could talk about and it's really where you want to direct yourself. So, you know, if you think about paper prototyping your portfolio, stop trying to build it online, stop trying to do it one project at a time and really start with an overview and then break it down into smaller, more manageable pieces. Then maybe, you know, Friday night, you work on a little bit of this Saturday, you work on a little bit of that. And it's not, you know, you're diving into this big, deep, you know, knotted kind of one project to, um, to, to go through at a time. It might help some people get through it a little bit easier. Amy, we need to do an illustration of that tree. I would love to do an illustration. I, I was wondering about the tree. If, if, you, yeah. if you have a picnic, do you have it on top of the upside down yeah. tree? <laughs> Does the fruit all fall out onto the, the sky or whatever? Yeah, I don't, how does this work? Um, uh, there are a couple of things about portfolios I think people constantly miss, and I don't see much discussion about it places. Um, the portfolio isn't, people turn it into this sort of narrative of how you did a project or showing what your process is. And, and that's, everybody's portfolio starts to look the same the minute you do that. Um, I can't tell you how many pictures of people standing in front of post-its I have seen in my life, but, but that seems to be a, a constant trope. My favorite are the ones that get it from, they don't even bother to make their own pictures of standing in front of post-its. They go and get something from, uh, uh, from a website that sells, you know, crappy photos. But the, the, uh, what, what the hiring managers we work with are looking for is they are they're you know they're looking for what you learned so very early in whatever you talk about you need to talk about what you learned what you didn't know at the beginning of the project what you now know at the end of the project right and all the things right not just well we didn't know this about our users and we changed this one thing and it worked but i also didn't know how much javascript wasn't being used or i didn't know uh uh that when we did the user research that asking these questions would um, uh, would would result in these types of answers. And so talking about the things that were most interesting about what you learned is is really important, particularly if you're more early in your career, because as a more early person, again, people are trying to figure out how well do you learn things? And if you can talk about all the things you learned, that's fantastic. So when you're looking at a case, that's one thing. Another thing is, is that it's almost impossible from most case studies to tell what, uh, how long it took. I, I often place bets with, with people on the interviewing team to see, was this something they did over a weekend or was this something that took seven months? Because you cannot tell from the depth of the material in the portfolio, whether this was a weekend project or not. And that's the downside of side projects. If you're going to do a side project, you need to do multiple iterations. It needs to involve users. You need uh, uh, to um, put other um, uh, details in that would be representative of real work. If you just work on something for a weekend or two and include it in your portfolio, that's not going to tell the hiring manager very much about what you could do on a job. You're going to work 40 hours a day, a week for years. So you need, you need to have some amount of depth and you need to sort of talk in terms of that. 
another thing that, that is very hard for hiring managers to tell is where in your career each case study appears in, right? If you put your school projects right next to your most recent work projects, people can't tell which one you did first. How do they know that what they want to look at, again, focusing on growth, focusing on learning, what they want to look at is uh, how much the uh, you've grown over the years. Is your work noticeably better than what you did when you graduated from school? And if people can't tell the difference, there is, uh, uh, that's problematic. So, so you need, uh, you need to communicate all of this stuff. And I actually would say that, that length is not the problem. Right, you can actually have a very long part of your portfolio that's a case study. What's the problem is, have you designed it so that people can easily tell if this is relevant to what they're hiring for? And if it is relevant to what they're hiring for, uh, do they wanna read more? So this is a design problem, right? You wanna be able to design something that basically gives a quick upfront this is what I did on this project, and these are the things I learned, and these are the things that I got from this. And then, from there, uh, expand that into, here are the details. So if a hiring manager reads, if you have three cases, and a hiring manager can see which case is most relevant to the project they want to hire you for. So let's say they're working on electronic health records. So which one is most relevant to working on electronic health records? And then from there, they can quickly see what you accomplished, what you learned, what what that experience was, how long it took, when it happened in your career. And if they're interested, then they can dive in and read more. That's what you want. But most case studies are just this long linear narrative with no information architecture, with no sense of depth. It doesn't feel like anybody has ever usability tested their own portfolio. and you know, that's the job you're supposed to have, right? So you better be doing these things. So Jared, speaking about doing usability testing in your portfolio, I have a question here that is about portfolios, but it also relates to a question that was asked a lot during reg registration. And it's about how to create a portfolio. It's a question, I'll, I'll read it and then I'll link it, link it back. Um, Ken says, a lot of UX is building company culture and team stakeholder management. How do you capture this in a portfolio? And the other question that I think it relates to this is that a lot of people are asking, how do they show their experience as a leader in UX when you're not doing that production work, but you're doing more uh, leadership work, working with uh, the culture of the company? That's a great question. I think a lot of people believe that portfolios are supposed to be visual things. And it makes sense that they, they, they take that approach because portfolios were, when I started in this business, uh, uh, you know, two, 300 years ago, yes, there were, did I freeze? <laughs> uh, or, uh, 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 it was cold back then. The, the, um, uh, when I started back then, uh, it was uh, uh, the case that 
nobody had portfolios. Nobody did this portfolio stuff. Portfolios sort of came from the graphic communications and industrial design worlds, and people people started doing them. And then uh, uh, recruiters who are not very good at their job, sort of the opposite of Amy, uh, um, are uh, uh, just treat portfolios as a required document, which is actually a huge mistake because you're actually going to miss all sorts of fantastic candidates if you require an updated portfolio just to apply. And so the the people have adopted this stuff. And, and uh, if you're applying for leadership positions, your portfolio, a visual portfolio, a portfolio of visual elements of the work you've done is really not that important. But that doesn't mean that the stories that go behind the work you've done aren't important. So again, it's a design problem, but there are lots of ways to tell stories. So how would you tell the story of, uh, this is the team I built. This is where we were when I got there. This is where we were when we ended. These were the things we couldn't do. These are the things we can do now. These are the problems that we ran into. These are the challenges that we had to overcome. You know, what did I learn in that process? If I had it all to do all over again, what would uh, uh, that be? So the um, this idea of requiring a portfolio uh, is okay if they'll accept something that's not necessarily visual representations of work. Part of the big problem that we have in, in UX hiring right now is that hiring teams actually are not very good at hiring. They often get people who aren't qualified for the job. They, they hone in on them because there's something about them they liked, but it turns out once they get them, they're not qualified. You have teams that are dysfunctional that way. Uh, and they, more importantly, they push away very qualified candidates uh, uh, accidentally because they don't have a process that lets them find out what the cap candidate's really capable of instead of do they show well. And that's the the... Uh, the problem that we have today. And we're all fighting this problem. I'm, I'm working on it from the hiring manager side, trying to get teams to be better at hiring. But the, the, the key thing is uh, there's a, a uh, you, you can counter this, right? You can counter this by providing materials that are easy to use, easy to see what you're capable of, and tell the hiring managers the questions that they should have been asking you to begin with. Jared, I want to add to that um, a couple different things that you're talking about. There is the doing too much into your portfolio that people don't want to go all the way through, and most people are not really going through it all anyways. Then there's the doing too little, um, which some people say because they don't want to put the work in. I mean, not you know to be wicked mean, but just, you know, it's a lot of work. Or... They don't really know how to show what they're doing. And one of the pieces of advice I've been been successfully giving is, you know, put placeholders in there. So you could say, um, here's my general site. Here's who I am. This is where my journey has been. These are the things that are important to me. Here's uh, a high level or maybe a little bit deeper than high level description of the work that I've done. Um, but there's more to this story. I would love to be able to share it relative to the problems you're trying to solve. And this is something that I give as advice in every single conversation I have with people. 
you're interviewing a company as much as they're interviewing you. And you can't answer the question, tell me something about yourself properly unless you understand what they really want to know from you. And when you're putting your portfolio together, you've got the same problem. You know, if you, um, you're trying to show yourself as a leader, you may be highlighting things that you are assuming are important to someone, but in fact, they're looking for some other element or there's some other pain that they have. And you can't possibly guess. I mean, you could look at a job description, but job descriptions are generally gross. Mm -hmm. But, you know, try to figure out what they're looking for, but give them that pass. They're not professional interviewers. They're not professional uh, job description writers. And as Jared is accurately saying, they're not professional at hiring either, generally speaking. So give them the pass. Say, look, I don't know exactly, you know, 100% what you need, but uh, I've done a whole bunch of other things. I'd love to be able to tell you. Or here's a sample, or just put that little placeholder in there. Same thing, um, people who are getting laid off and want to find a job, they've got two weeks severance if they're lucky, okay? And they need to find H1Bs that need a transfer. They need to find a job right away, but you have this huge task of building up your portfolio. Same kind of thing, a paragraph. Here's what I did at this company, more to follow. Case study coming, coming soon. And don't put passwords all over everything to prevent people from exploring You know your portfolio. Maybe you've got one or two things at most in your portfolio that you can't publish. And again, it's a really great opportunity to put a placeholder there. Um, I Due to NDA, because this hasn't been released, I can't publish this. Feel free to ask me about it in, in person. Reach out to me, I can give you more details. Now you're actually starting to engage with a person instead of leaving your portfolio out there as you know, effectively a flat file and hope that there's, as Jared said, something interesting in there that makes them want to talk to you when in fact it might not even be what they need or it might not even be what you know, you're looking to do. Yeah, and it shows that you're interested in them, right? In them as a company and, and the product and that they are perfect. building. Hire people, not skill sets. I've said for a thousand years. You know, they they want to know a little more about you. This is not transactional. It starts out transactional, okay? But it, you know, going on a date that you've never met somebody before, it starts out transactional. But then it moves into the human. So try to pull the human into the portfolio. Excuse me. So you can get that opportunity, even get in there and have the conversation. Uh, we tell the students that. Um, that they they need to think in terms of of what is it that that person really wants to find out from you. So there are a couple tips that we give them. One is is that we start them very early in uh, in the school, so we don't wait till the end of the school for them to put together their portfolio and their resume. We actually start them very early. And one of the things that we start with almost immediately is something we call the career management document, which is just this large place that you put all the stuff, you will be the only one who ever sees this document. But it's actually everything you've worked on, right? So you capture screenshots and you write little diary entries about what the work is and you talk about uh, uh, what you've learned and you try and have reflections that you put in there every week, every two weeks, just take an hour and update that document and just make it a habit. And we try and make it a habit for the students. Our program's two years long, so they're doing this every week for two years. Sure. And, and 
And, well, it's, not, it's journaling and capturing and reflecting. And the, and the career management document is this, uh, uh, becomes this repository of everything they've ever worked on. So when they see an ad or they're having a conversation at some meetup with somebody and they say, yeah, I'm looking for someone to work on electronic health records, they can quickly go through and find all the work they've ever done that could potentially show what they could do in health records. Even if they've never done it before, it's like, well, it's forms and you have to do usability tests with people who are in have medical conditions. And so I can talk about what I've done in that work before, how I've you know, interviewed vulnerable users and I've worked on form design and I figured things out. And they can put throw together something pretty fast that they can send to a recruiter or somebody as an addendum or even as part of their portfolio and say, this might be relevant to what you're looking for. And just the act of, of doing that, of, of thinking it through for a second, makes you stand out from all the other candidates who give you, you know, this was my redesign of Facebook Messenger and this was my redesign of Yelp and this was my redesign of the iPhone. And uh, uh, that's all nice, but we're working on electronic health records. So tell me how that's, that's useful to me, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's a really key thing is to always be sort of collecting and thinking and being able to be flexible. So we teach our students to actually make their portfolio into a design system where they can plug new items into it every time they give it to somebody. Yeah, I, Max, I remember that uh, we, Max and I, we did a, a panel on hiring and I remember that that was one of your, your points about your portfolio, that you had a lot of information there that it wasn't shown to everyone, but then you can pull the, the projects that were relevant to what you were going to do. Um, I wanted to ask you one question that was asked a lot um, during the registration too, that it's about people, individual contributors that want to uh, transition into a management position or leadership position. Uh, do you have any advice for people that want to do that? Uh, the, like, the, the struggle between being an IC and a manager is persistent and will be was here long before the quarantine will be here long after. Um, I think that it's especially a poignant issue now because like in, in the past, the way that you would, you could advance your career is, you know, a, a, apply and get a job with a certain job description. And then as Jared said, learn on the job and sort of shift responsibilities. And you can choose to specialize as a, as a contributor or sort of move up management path at a lot of decision points in your career um, before like, like, as, excuse me, after you get to a job. Now I think both, hiring managers and the people writing job descriptions are being a little bit more uh, particular about what their expectations should be, especially if work is done remotely, um, describing uh, responsibilities, roles, expectations, things like that. And so um, I think that at least going into the next quarter or two, you're going to find that, uh, you know, prospects for figuring out, getting a feel for like where you want to land on the spectrum of IC and or management or however you want to do that spectrum is going to be, I think, a little bit more of a challenge because um, you sort of things are a lot more clear and defined in remote work. Um, with that said, uh, there is uh, like it's important to, to be clear about your future plans. And so even if you sort of uh, want to switch to a new job now or have to or for whatever reasons, um, being up front and saying, look, here's my here's how I see my career trajectory going. 
um, you know, maybe work with your direct manager at your position to write a personal charter that says, you know, here's my career progression, or maybe I'm undecided about whether I want to uh, proceed to design management or stick to being maybe a principal or lead. Um, if you document that as well, and this again, regardless of the current times, um, that'll help you set goals, goalposts, and also help the people you work with stay on track about where you want to be going in your career. Um, but I think like, I, I think management as a rung in, in like the corporate world, particularly in design is being leaned on extremely heavily now, particularly middle management, not, you know, not just the SVPs and all of the people in whose jobs are meetings. Um, but you know, the, the managers that hire, um, emergent or, or sort of fresher designers, a lot of the logistics and coordination of remote work falls on them. And so does a lot of the, um, like career path decision points, uh, I think are much more interdependent. So that's, that's my general bit there. And that, that's really interesting that you said that having that plan, because it's not only about knowing that you want to go into management or leadership, it's okay not knowing to like exploring the role and see if you want to switch between IC and, and manager. So we only have like four minutes left. Uh, and of this time, I mean, it went by so fast. I wanted to, to close with a question that I think almost everyone um, have asked. And it's about how you guys, you can take a, a couple of minutes to give us your, your point of view from your role. How did you see the job market post COVID-19? Um, I think immediately post COVID-19, uh, there's gonna be this mad rush for the few positions that are open. There are gonna be, you know, right now in the United States, there are uh, more than 30 million unemployed people. Um, or there are 30 people, people who, who've registered with their states to be unemployed. So that's not counting all the people who aren't eligible to do that, uh, who haven't registered. So the uh, everybody and anybody's gonna be applying to any position. And so the problem is, is that the various application reporting systems are going to be put on heavy filter mode so that they, they screen out anything that doesn't look the least bit relevant. So that's going to be a difficult way for people to get attention. And you're going to need to find outlets that, that allow you to connect with hiring managers directly and, and, be able to show who you are more directly. And I think that's key. Beyond that, in the long run, um, I, I really don't have a sense as to, as to what's gonna be different. Everyone wants things to return to be the same. I, I'm not sure that's true, but I can tell you this. One of the things that sort of come out of this whole thing is that design is more important than ever. We're seeing that companies that, um, are more design uh, uh, focused are producing better products. I mean, why why is Zoom the the conferencing system of choice when Google and Microsoft and mm -hmm. Cisco and 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 all these other companies have had products for a decade? You know, it's the design of Zoom, and it's and it's subtle things in the design of Zoom that allowed it to be the the conferencing system of choice. So. Uh, design is is now being seen by others as this is how you survive this thing. 
And I think designers are going to be more valuable. So stay with it. It's, it's a good field to be in. I think, yeah. uh, go ahead. I think there's going to be new products that are built. I mean, this is probably pretty predictable, but I think one of the things the crisis has really um, up-leveled is our need to be able to communicate better with each other as work. Just from a workflow perspective, there are problems with Zoom that people are trying to address right away. Um, you know, just trying to communicate with people in case this ever happened again. I mean, we're going to have this kind of fear, right, that we're going to get in lockdown again another time. And so how are we better prepared in those situations? So I think there's going to be a, a slew of hiring around productivity tools, um, uh, social tools, even, you know, being able to be able to be connected with each other and fix a lot of the infrastructure problems that we've been having just as humans dealing with the shutdowns. Um, I also think there's going to be something to address the the people who have been laid off and, you know, how do we protect Americans and others um, in the future? God forbid something like this happens again. I also think, Jared, I think you're right. There's going to be a run for jobs. Um, I think it will overload companies to try to hire once they feel that they are comfortable about going back to offices and being able to bring people back in again. Um, and it's going to be really, really important to differentiate yourself somehow from the herd of people that are now, well, you know, it's quiet, nobody's hiring, so I'm not going to look for a job right now. And then the floodgates open and not only the people who don't have jobs are going to start looking and the fresh grads, but people who've been waiting to make a change. We're going to have this pent up kind of need um, to move about the cabin and, and, and try something else. So one of the things we were talking about earlier was networking. It, you know, your home, it, do some extra networking, join user groups, Slack groups, uh, you know, stuff locally, stuff nationally, stuff on LinkedIn, whatever you can find that's interesting to you and, and link in with people re related to what you're doing. You know, so many recruiters will just link in with anybody. Don't just link in with anybody. Try to find people who actually specialize. Try to find people who are in your area so they understand what the job market is. A lot of recruiters who do national recruiting, sorry, is, you know, it's really hard to be a specialist um, if you are serving different markets. I work only in San Francisco. I live in Boston. I worked for 20 years just in Boston and New York. When I switched over to San Francisco, I found an entirely different ecosystem. So, you know, really try to network with people who understand what your needs are, what your interests are, um, make sure that you're connecting. So then again, when those floodgates open, you have resources, you have people you can go to, people that you want to talk to. Um, and that just, you know, the name familiarity, right? People just want to have something in common with somebody. Yeah. And people are also making themselves uh, available. Like if you, this, it's a great time to, to network because they are opening office hours. They want to be able to help. So yeah, the best time to start networking. Uh, Max, what's your take on the job market after COVID-19? Uh, by the time COVID-19 is done, we are probably going to see some sort of change in administration as well. I don't know if it's a big change or a little one. Um, so there's about to be a lot of change. Uh, I think 2020 uh, is the decade of rapid stuff. So uh, I think my, my very brief and direct piece of advice is be ready for things to not be how they've been done in the industry and in hiring. But 
be ready to know where you're willing to um, compromise and where you're not. Just because things are tough now, they might get tougher or they might not, which means that from like a risk standpoint, you should be strategic about, you know, do you want to take a job with, you know, a lower salary, but maybe that isn't exactly what you're looking for, et cetera. You have to be very conscious about your trade-offs. Um, but I think the the good and the terrible news of this all is we're all in, in this with the same level of uncertainty. Um, and so no matter what you do with consideration for the past and the future, document it and be direct and transparent about it with the people that you're talking to, whether that's a hiring manager or your actual manager or your group of peers. Um, that'll help you navigate these waters because um, honestly, nobody knew what the world would look like a year ago. And I guarantee you that is the case for a year from now. Thank you, Max. And one of the things that I keep hearing from thought leaders, even outside of, of design, is that the, the roles that, that uh, use creativity and the ones that can adapt the best are the ones that are going to have the, the best opportunities during this time and after this time. So it's a difficult situation, but there's a lot of opportunities too. So, and that was the, the point of this event that we could get a little bit more uh, certainty of what to do during this time and after this is over, hopefully soon. Um, so I think we've come to the end. Uh, we It's 2.04 now PM here in DC. I wanna thank um, my three panelists for their time and for their wisdom in each of their roles. So thank you guys. Do you wanna uh, say goodbye? Thank you so much. People really need to know that it's okay. So it's gonna be fine. We've been through this before, it'll be fine. Right, Jay? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. the sun will rise tomorrow. Sun will rise. Um, and, and shine its light on the tree that's somehow growing upside down. Upside down. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, uh, so uh, if I post on Twitter, uh, anybody who, who replies to my pinned tweet, which is basically a call for any open positions. So if you know of anybody who has uh, an uh, open position, uh, go to the tweet that I just posted in the, in the conversation and, and uh, just link to that and I will retweet it to the, uh, I guess I have 103,000 followers now, but I think 95,000 of those are Russian bots. So <laughs> probably 20,000 designers when we're done. But uh, that's where we're at. Cool. Max, where where can people find you? I see that you posted your LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, link, uh, LinkedIn, it's, I think, yeah. But Twitter, Twitter if you want to actually have a conversation, uh, DM me on Twitter. Uh, if you want to see if we have anybody in common for a job that you're applying for and you want to get some insights into their process or their company culture, and I'm a mutual on LinkedIn, feel free to reach out there as well. Max yeah, is can... a power user of, of Twitter. Yes, Oops. he is. <laughs> uh, you, you can you can link uh, connect to me on LinkedIn also at that if you uh, if you wish. That would be great. I did my first Twitter fail with Jared when I tried to DM him when it first came out. And I ended up broadcasting. <laughs> Actually, Amy, yeah, I know. I know that you work only with designers in San Francisco. Do you do you want people to look you up in LinkedIn too? Yes, I mean certainly. I I actually I post I repost uh, articles. I've been told they're helpful. Is yeah, 
There's some people that follow them. I can confirm. Uh, every day uh, around lunchtime on um, Pacific time. And uh, in people send me articles and, and uh, I, I can repost those too. But for the design community, for the benefit of the design community across the country. Um, but I do concentrate on um, roles just in the Bay Area. So reaching out to me via LinkedIn is fine. Cool. So there you have it. Thank you everyone for connecting and you guys for sharing this time with us. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and go to uxbackstage.com to learn about more resources on UX strategy.